Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in the book of Nehemiah, so if you have a Bible that you brought with you, open to Nehemiah. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair back in front of you. And as I always say, if you're going from church to church collecting Bibles, uh, leave the one here. <laughs> The reason I say that, we used to have a gentleman who, um, every time he came, he wanted two or three Bibles every Sunday. So uh, Tricia on our staff said to me, do you know that guy's gone like 15 Bibles this month, and he's back again? So um, I, I wanted to go scold him. Like, come on, buddy. And then I found out he was giving them away to people in the community. I said, oh, it's okay. Take as many as you want, Right. Restore, rebuild, renew. So we're learning about a man named Nehemiah, an ordinary man. He'd not been to leadership class. He'd not been a mason. He doesn't know anything about concrete and bond beam and rebar and consistency of mortar. He's just a guy with a great compassion about his people, his own people, a deep concern. And I would venture an educated guess that everyone here or watching online has a concern about something or someone, that if you had a magic wand, you would wave it and make that problem go away or help that person in crisis or, or feed those people who have food insecurities. That's the new term now. Um, we used to just call it they needed food. Now it's called a food insecurity. I, it's, I'm okay with that. But whatever it might be, it might be a child who lost their dad or lost their mom, or uh, it might be a, a school near you that you're concerned about. It might be people in other countries that don't have fresh water to drink, or it might be a, a country like India recently that we gave a sizable amount of money to that was dealing with COVID pandemic uh, like none we had seen. And we were able to resource the local churches there to take care of other people But the concern you carry, you can write this down in your notes if you choose, the the concern you carry often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. Whatever's deep inside of you will more than likely be something that God has already opened your eyes and your soul to that will allow you to embrace a call. And you don't have to have a title. Nehemiah was not a pastor or a priest. He never went to cemetery, I mean seminary. He never had a degree. Again, he's not a contractor. He has no license, but he's just filled with compassion about his own people, Israel. Look look back with me, if you would, at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and, and disgrace. It's one thing to have trouble or a problem It's another thing to be disgraced about your current condition. The other word would be shame. You put your head down like you're looking for money on the ground. There's nothing to lift your head for. There's nothing to look forward to. The walls are broken down. The gates have been burned. There's no fortification of the city. There's no security. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I, and I wept. For some days I mourned. 
and fasted and prayed. Now, if you hadn't been with us the last couple of weeks, let me kind of give you a refresher here if you have been as well. It's the year 587 BC and King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a very evil king, led the Babylonian people to attack Jerusalem, to wipe out its economy, to ruin its walls and its gates, and to make sure that there were no jobs, that when the people returned after exile in Babylonian captivity, they would be troubled and full of disgrace. And you fast forward decades later, these people have returned, and their assignment is to rebuild the wall, and they can't get it done. And some scholars say it was 147 years after the walls were torn down that Nehemiah comes on the scene. Just think about that. It's, it's, it's more than one generation. It's 147 years. It could be two generations. It could be because people didn't live that long. It's three generations of people telling the story of trouble and disgrace and shame. And here he comes, Nehemiah, with zero qualifications to restore, to renew, and to rebuild. So if you have a passion from God about someone or something that matters, that qualifies you to make a difference. Let me say it again. If you have a passion from God about someone or something that matters, that qualifies you to make a difference. That's it. There's your qualification. So we can all go home now. But you have been around too long to know that he's probably got more to say. Let me ask you what I, what I asked you last week. What breaks your heart? What really breaks your heart? And then what are you going to do about it? That's a lesson from Nehemiah, is it not? I mean, there's, there's 12 times in this book where he kneels down and he prays and he fasts before the Lord. What do you do when you have this burden, old word, this concern, newer word, or this weight that's on you, you cannot shake it. You drive by it and you see it. You drive by that person and you see them. You hear about a family member and your, your heart aches for them. You know how far away they are from God or how troubled or how disturbed or how close to the edge they are of falling off the cliff. And you go, I got, I've, it usually starts this way. I, I wish someone would do something about it, right? I wish that, I know what I'll do. I'll tell Pastor B and he'll get a team and they'll go do it and, and, and I'll hear about the report. But, but I'm here to tell you, and I really believe this for our day right now. This is, this is present time. That God's looking for people who will rise up and do something about the very thing they're passionate about the very thing they're compassionate with. So let me give you some steps and some lessons. Number one, pursue God intensely. Not just, uh, Lord, help me, bless my day, you know, uh, pass the potatoes, pass the meat, good God, let's eat. Those kind of prayers, right? Rub-a-dub-dub, bless this crab, woo! You know, bless my journey. No, no, it's an intense prayer because here he is praying and, and fasting. I love what Nehemiah 1, uh, 1 and 2, 1 both tell us. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, in the month of Nissan, I could take some low-hanging fruit jokes about Nissan. It's a car company, if you haven't remembered. So let me just tell you, from Kislev to Nissan is four months. So for four months, he's been praying. This weight, this burden, he's been fasting for four months. I don't know, every day for four months or every three days? I don't know. 
I just know he prayed and he fasted. He was seeking the Lord. And not one of the things he was seeking God for was about himself. There's no prayers recorded here that make my name great. Uh, Nehemiah, I mean, what he says is, I I want success with the king because I'm about to go to the king and I'm going to ask him a huge question. Actually, you'll see it in Nehemiah 1.11. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. In other words, I'm not in there demanding. There's no entitlement here. I am your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant, referring to himself, success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, referring to the king. Now, in this day and age of Nehemiah, you never brought bad news to the king. You kept bad news from the king. It was like, oh, did you hear the bad news? Yeah, don't tell the king. Don't upset the king. Don't bother the king. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, I, I had not been sad in the presence before. So now the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So the king and the cupbearer, Nehemiah, were very close. Remember, his job was to eat and drink the food that was going to be presented to the king. And if he didn't die, then the food wasn't poisoned. The food would then eat. The king would then eat the food. That was his job. So they were close. Nehemiah, does it taste good? Yeah, it does. Okay, Nehemiah, you go ahead and eat it. And the king would watch him eat. If he didn't drop dead, then the king went ahead and ate it too. So they're real close, close proximity. And the king can tell there's something deep and sad in the heart of Nehemiah. So he asked them that question. In chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Before he answers, he goes to his source. You see, Nehemiah was a man of great prayer. He didn't wait till a crisis came to pray. He didn't wait till his heart was, was grieved or his heart was filled with compassion or his heart was burdened. He was already a person of prayer. He was already a man, according to the scriptures, that believed in the scriptures. He, he, he read the law of God daily and he meditated on the law of God, much like David did. And so he says, I prayed to the God of heaven and then I answered the king. Isn't that great? You ever, you ever have to give an answer for something? Someone ever press you for something? And rather than, than, than texting quickly back <gasps> or emailing quickly back, don't you wish you would have prayed first? <laughs> I think Nehemiah teaches us, we can tell people to pause for a moment. Hey, can I get back to you? And then we go right to our source. As long as I have breath, I will always tell people, encourage people, teach people, preach to people that God is our source of everything. And so we go to God for wisdom. We go to God for strength. And and here Nehemiah goes to God and he prays. And then here's what he says. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can what? Rebuild it. Notice his faith. He didn't say so I can go and consider what needs to be rebuilt. Maybe I can get a team, God. Maybe God will help me. Or maybe you, king, will will, will give me something that would allow me to... No, 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 no. He is bold in his faith to say, I'm going to get it done. Get her done. Come on. 
This man was intimate in his talks to God. And when it comes to prayer, you can write this down. Nothing is too big for God's power and nothing is too small for God's heart. Can I, can I share that with you today for your life? There's nothing too big going on in your life right now that God's power can't recover, redeem, restore, renew, rebuild. And there's nothing too small for God's if you care about it, God does too. And if he cares about it, we, we, we should, right? So Nehemiah is a lesson. When you have a heart for something, you have a vision for something, God wants to empower you to make a difference. See, if prayer isn't necessary for you to accomplish your vision, then you're not thinking or dreaming big enough. If you can live your life without God's help, you're living a life that's too small. Good morning. I, I know it's nine o'clock service, but that's true. I don't want to live the rest of my life without divine intervention, without divine resources. I don't, I don't want to live a life that I can live on my own without the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you step out to make a difference for God, he steps with you. And when you walk where God already is walking, where you move where God is already moving, he will give you great success. And great success can be defined as this, that we're obedient every day to what he calls us to do. That's great success. And great success, like I tell uh, young married couples, is that you love God and each other more at the end of your life than you do right now. Because when young married couples come down, they're all goo-goo and la-la and huggy bear licky face. You know, they're, they're, they're really, oh, stepping over the threshold into an unknown future, right? The boldly go where, well, most people have gone before or some have wished they didn't go before. Wouldn't it be great to say to all of us that we will love the Lord more at the end of our lives than we do right now? And if you're married, that you'll love your spouse more at the end of your life than you do right now. Good. Yay. Good. The second thing is produce a, a clearly defined vision. Life is too short to make everything about you. And we have to remember that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And when the king says, what do you want? Catch this. Nehemiah has a crystal clear vision. I want you to help me. Go rebuild the walls where my ancestors have been buried. Now, now, sometimes I just want you to know, on, on your behalf, this church has made decisions to bless and minister to others. Uh, when the Lompoc, uh, you know, food pantry needed a truck, uh, we heard they were short on funds to get that new truck uh, delivered to them. And so we went ahead and gave a sizable amount of money to help them. Why not? They're going to put our name on the side. No big deal. We don't need the the photo op or the press, you know, uh, release. Uh, when we found out about, uh, you know, the story in India, we decided to give. When we, when we recognized that there's students that can't go to Bible college and prepare for ministry, we decided to set up scholarship funds. When local kids can't play sports in our town, we decided to come alongside Little League and LGSA and ASO and, and give financially to help kids make sure they could play sports. And when there's missionaries that need our help, we've come alongside missionaries, individual missionaries and Foursquare missions globally and church planting. And the list goes on and on. We, we find things that fit the heart of the church, but that's 
come from the voice of God to us. Needs that pop off the page. We can't do everything for everyone. You can't either. But remember this line from our good friend Andy Stanley. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I had a lady tell me, I, I, I see all the homeless people. It seems like they're on the rise. Like, oh, what am I going to do? I said, I don't know. What can you do? So she met one homeless woman that she's now befriended. Didn't bring her home, by the way. Please don't do that. Not a good thing. But she's helped her. Not only with food. She doesn't give her cash. But she gives her food. And she has a conversation about faith. She's heard her story now about her life. She's found out some, some ways to help her with her mental illness, to, to resource her with, with some of the behavioral wellness in the county. She's not a trained person. She's not a, a county authority. She just found some pathways to help this person, and she's really good on the phone. In other words, she bothers people so she gets the right answer. And so what is she doing? She's doing for one what she wished she could do for the whole city. I'm not advocating you all become homeless workers, but what is God calling you to do? See, Nehemiah, in, in Nehemiah 2.5, he answered the king, and he said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, notice the clarity here, let him send me to the city of Judah, to my ancestors where they are buried, and, and I can rebuild the wall. One sentence, clearly defined vision. So let, let me just help you. If you have a compassion, let's just say for children, don't, don't tell people, I have a compassion for children. I want to help children. Can I ask you, where do you want to help them? You want to help them in, in, in Kenda, Kenya or Rwanda or in L.A. or in Lompoc? What kind of kids do you want to help? What do you want to help them with? It begins to be more clarified as you begin to ask the question, do you want to help kids learn how to read? Do you want to help kids that are abused? Do you want to become a trained counselor to help kids that have been molested? you want to help kids who don't have homes? Do you want to help with foster care? Do you want to adopt some kids, bring them home? Where? What, what, what city? What area? It's kind of like you make a decision for your finances. Like somebody says, I'm going to pay off all my credit card debt by 2024. That's a good goal, don't you think? Now, none of you have credit card debt, right? None of you. None of you. Online. Nobody has credit card debt here. But if you did, probably our 1045 crowd, a lot of credit card debt there. <laughs> What steps can you take to pay that off? How much extra can you put away each week? And then some of you that aren't tithers, you, 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 do, you don't tithe. Now, I don't know who tithes here. I never look at the list, but I know that not everyone does because I know how many people we have both here and online, and I know the total of the money that comes in, and I, and I know not everybody does. Some of you are getting nervous right now. How do you start? You, you, you start by faith. And maybe your financial goal is this, um, uh, give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. That's a good way to start your finances. Even if you uh, someday take uh, Financial Peace University, but until you do, give, save, live on the rest. 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. I learned that when I was 17. 10, 10, 80. I've never paid $1 of credit card interest ever. <laughs> Don't you wish you were there? 10, 10, 80, 10, 10, 80, 10% to God, 10% to savings and live on the rest, 80. Then you graduate to 10, 20, 70. You give God 10%, you save 20% for the future and you live on the 70%. Pastor, that means we need to have a budget. Yes, 
Now, now, this is not a financial seminar, and I'm using sermon time to talk about finances. But, but you see that that's a clarity of vision. It's clearly defined. Um, and that's why. <clears throat> if you can't define it, you can't do it. So in one sentence, here's your homework assignment. In one sentence, what is it that God is leading you to? Okay. And, and the next part is, is, what's he leading you to, and how are you going to get there? Oh, by 2024, I'm going to have my credit card all paid off. Well, how are you going to get there? Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. So that's why the third point says you have to prepare your plans. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. See, a vision without a plan is just a wish. So you're sitting in a, in a building that was a part of a vision. This used to be a grass field with lots of weeds and gophers. And so someday you sit down, much like this picture, and you get someone to help you design a plan. Now, these are blueprints, of course. Got a CAD, computer-aided uh, a drawing uh, plan there. And uh, we sat down with, with architects when this was just a grass field and said, what can we build on this field? How can we maximize the space that we have? And we erased and we redrew. And the best time, by the way, uh, in building construction, because I've done several projects, let me just give you a hint. The best time to make changes is on paper. You don't want to say to the builder, can we move that door over there? Sure, it's a change order, and it's going to cost you more, and it's a different door to order, and what are you going to do with the one that's already on site? And it just costs you more money. Or you tell the electrician, I want 40 more outlets in the room after it's already been drywalled. Not the right time. So what you do is you just sit down with God as though you're, you're an architect or a designer, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And then if you don't know, you seek people who already do it. Again, let's go back to finance. You find people that are ahead of you. You let them help you. You want to retire someday? Go find some people that are retired and see how they're making it. See how their um, <clears throat> retirement funds have done the last two weeks. Anyway, anyway, another story. So Nehemiah 2.6 uh, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will the journey take? Ah, and when will you get back? I don't know. We're going to go here and then go there. And if we can get the supplier to give us the supplies, then we're, no, 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 no. He said this, so I set a time. Nehemiah already knew the cost. He already knew the time frame and he knew what he would need. Nehemiah 2, 7 and 8. Also, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, <clears throat> may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe. Oh, yeah. Until I arrive where? In Judah. And I may have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park. So he will give me the lumber from the lumber yard to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. Does he have a plan or what? I want carte blanche to the lumber yard. I want carte blanche to the supply company. I, I, I want you to give me protection and provision. I love this. And now watch this. Nehemiah 2, 8 and 9. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, I think if you've got your Bible, that would be one to underscore or highlight. Just the gracious hand of God was on me. The king granted my request. He doesn't come in there all snooty and arrogant and say, because I'm the great Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king. No, no, he's just because God's gracious hand was on me. That was his testimony. We sang about that this morning. 
Yeah, my testimony. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's my testimony. But all of us have a testimony who know the Lord, what God has done in our lives. How about we use this line when we don't know what to say? Well, because of God's gracious hand being upon me. You know, you, you, you get a promotion, you get a job, you get a house, you, you, something good happens for you. And how about rather than saying, yeah, I'm just amazing, <laughs> you say, because the gracious hand of God is upon me. Because people will be jealous when you tell them how you got where you got. But if you tell them about the gracious hand of God, they'll be curious. What do you mean the gracious hand of God? I think we need to use that line more. How about this week? The gracious hand of God is upon me. See, you have to answer the question of what the next thing is on your list, which leads me to the fourth thing. And it's very truthful that we have to persevere through resistance. We're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come. But even God's people, are you ready for this? Can become negative, envious, jealous, evil, dark, gossipy, syrupy, Facebooky. <laughs> I'm just telling you. And here comes the resistance. We're starting to pull the people together to build. And Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat and Tobiah heard about this, they were very much, what's the word? Disturbed. Can I tell you it's the same word in the Hebrew that Nehemiah was feeling about the trouble and disgrace? Nehemiah was deeply disturbed about the tearing down of the walls and the ruin of the city that he loved, the city he was a part of, and the tearing down of the temple where they worshiped to God and they sacrificed for their sins. Nehemiah was deeply disturbed, a positive disturbance. And Sanballat and Tobiah, same word, disturbed in a negative sense because they worshiped the gods of the Palestinians. They were pagans, and they didn't want anything of God to succeed. Think about that. So right away, they're disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They didn't like the good thing that Nehemiah was about to bring to Jerusalem. They didn't like the fact that God's gracious hand was on Nehemiah because they didn't worship God. They were resistant towards the movement of God's heart among the people. Now, you'd have to be comatose to not know there are people today in our country that are resistant to the move of God and his gracious hand upon the church. But I got good news for you. Come on. It's the only thing that Jesus said he would build. And it's the only thing that he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against. It's called the church. And you are the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together, we are the church. And there's many churches all around, different styles, shapes, and sizes. And God says through his son, Jesus, I'm going to build that. I'm going to build a place and a community of people where, where I can rest and rule and reign, and I can use them for glory and honor to rebuild and restore and renew others. If you haven't had any resistance from anyone, I'm going to pray you get some. Because where there is motion, there is friction. You think everything we've done in 
LFC's 81 years of history has been easy peasy, lemon squeezy. No way. You think building all this was easy peasy? So we, oh, sure, come right in, build what you want. Do what you want. We don't need any permits. We don't need any inspections. We don't need inspectors who are power hungry. <laughs> we had one of those. <laughs> yeah. It always came at 328. His quitting time was 3.30. If we had any questions, we had to wait till Monday because he came on Friday. And the rumor was, this is a long time ago, so I can talk about it now. The rumor was he didn't like church. And he didn't like us. I always prayed the other guy would come because he was so cool. If you've not had any resistance, then you haven't ruffled any feathers for God. Just bring Jesus up next time you go to a party. You know, Thanksgiving's coming. Uncle Bob's going to show up. You know him, right? That person that comes every year and always wants to talk about politics or something, right? But not Jesus. Say, you know what? I'm so grateful. What are you grateful for on the table? I'm just grateful for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who died, who shed his blood on the cross and rose again from the dead. Pass the cranberry sauce. And watch what happens. You will get some resistance. Come on. Are you, am I right? Yeah, sure. Nehemiah 2.9, the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. The king is a part of the plan of Nehemiah. It says, Nehemiah, I see God's gracious hand on you. I'll write you a letter. I'll make sure that you're protected. I'll make sure you have the provisions you need. See, God's favor is upon you when you seek him intensely and are willing to do his will his way. And, and lastly, and I, I got to shut down here because the second service is coming. Passionately inspire people. You know, don't, don't be the Eeyore at the party. Don't be the Eeyore at work. Don't be the Eeyore in the neighborhood. You know who Eeyore was, right? Passionately inspire people. How do you do that? Well, watch what Nehemiah does. He, he says it to them, and he acknowledges that things are not good. And last week we saw this. You start with the reality of your situation. I see this, but here's what I know. There's something else you need to know. And this is our line with people. There's something else you need to know. The gracious hand of God is upon us. Hey, would you just say that with me? The gracious hand of God is upon us. Let's say it again. The gracious hand of God is upon us. Woo! How about saying it this way? The gracious hand of God is upon me. The gracious hand of God is upon me. You didn't say it as loud as the first one, but the gracious hand of God is upon me. Well, if you've got kids or grandkids, you should pray that over them. May the gracious hand of God be upon you. May you open your heart to his grace and his mercy. The gracious hand of God is upon us. I just love that. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come. He starts to inspire the people now. Come, let us, let us rebuild. Some of them are going, uh, we haven't been able to do it for 147 years. <gasps> let us tell you some, Eeyore, Eeyore. Let me tell you something. Oh, he comes with an inspiration that's godly. We will rebuild. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in 
this grace. What's he doing? He's declaring a preferable future for the people that he loves. I wonder how many people have disbelieved they have a preferable future. It could be you. I wonder how many people you know believe that they're stuck with torn down walls and burned down gates. But watch what he did. Are you ready for this? I also told them about the what? No, come on, help me. I also told them about the, ah, my God on me, and what the king had said to me. In just a moment, we're going to close with that song again, my testimony. This is what Nehemiah did. He shared his testimony. I told them about the gracious hand of God on me, and I told them about the favor of the king. And what did that do? It bolstered their faith. Can I tell you, your testimony bolsters the faith of somebody who's faithless. Somebody that doesn't have anything. Somebody that that is desperate for an answer. And you say, hey, when, when I need an answer, I went to God and I sought him intensely. And his favor was upon me. I wonder what it would look like if we said to people, God has a preferable future for you. I believe in you. And how about this one? May the gracious hand of God be upon you. Are you burdened about something? Are you overwhelmed with something? Then congratulations, you're a perfect candidate for God to use you. God didn't allow you to see it, feel it, understand it, and be compassionate about it so he could just leave you that way. He brought you there so you'd do something about it. So, Father, do through us what you desire to do. I pray today that you'll inspire us to do what you've called us to do, that none of us would live by fear, but by faith. And Lord, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have a party on our street. (laughs) What a great way to serve our community. May you help us to do it with your heart. And God, for some, this would be their day to say yes to Jesus too. So the gracious hand of God could be upon them. If you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you this day. Let this be your day where you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. You say, Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And he will become your savior. Nehemiah had a testimony and inspired others. I certainly want you to use your testimony. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.